Welcome to another edition of GBB Live. My name is Sean Coleman. Hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening, you are having a great start to your weekend. And I am happy to welcome a familiar guest, former co-host of mine on Locked on Grizzlies a few years back. Now, the co-host of Joe Molinax on Locked on Grizzlies, also commercial appeal columnist and one of the best beat writers in the NBA, and a gentleman I'm, I'm happy to call a good friend. His name is DeMichael Cole, who has been kind enough to join us. DeMichael, how are you this morning, sir? I'm doing great, Sean. I'm doing great. You know, uh, the sky's blue this morning, and the sun's out, and I had a good breakfast. How about you? Still in the process of trying to figure out exactly what I need to have for breakfast, because my breakfast consisted <laughs> of a 4 a.m. biscuit. But, hey, you know what? Ooh. At the end of the day, hey. Lunch will be here soon, so it, it will we'll, we'll, we'll be good. But I, I definitely, yeah. and, and I'm looking. I think a good breakfast is coming tomorrow. At least that's what the wife told me. So we'll see. There you we'll, go. we'll see what's going on. But Michael, it, it's good to have you. I know that you um, are getting back into the swing of things. It's been a busy week. Hopefully, you're getting a little bit of a rest before preseason starts on Sunday. Just how busy has it been for you, and how excited are you to get back on the grind when it comes to covering the Grizzlies? Yeah, it's been busy for me, but it's been busy for a lot of us. It's been busy for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, Monday was media day, and, I mean, we hit the ground running. I think uh, Zach Kleiman was 12 on the dot. He walks in. He's talking at about 12, and I don't think the last player didn't finish till around 3, 3.30. Uh, somewhere around that time, we got to talk to uh, Gigi Jackson. I think he was the very last player to talk, but – um. Yeah, uh, it's it's been fun because you, you kind of reacquaint yourselves with the players. Uh, some of them, you know, you've seen probably a week or two weeks ago. Some of them you haven't seen since the season ended. So uh, it's it's that part of the year. But for the Grizzlies, uh, it's also the time where you got these new faces. You got Derrick Rose, you got Marcus Smart, uh, to a lesser degree, Shaq Harrison, uh, Michael Mulder, uh, those guys. Uh, Gigi Jackson is new to some of the players and whatnot. So you kind of – getting this first day of school vibe. Everyone's getting to know each other, know the strengths. I was talking to Marcus Smart about, you know, pressing the buttons of certain guys. Is it, do you know certain guys, you know, are you uh, a little bit harder on them since you're still getting to know them? Or some guys you come at them a little bit easier when you're trying to give them constructive criticism. Like there's this whole getting to know each other phase that the Grizzlies are going through right now. And it's fun because once you get to January or February or, you know, that time of the year, uh, you won't have these conversations. It, it'll, the conversation will kind of kind of transfer uh, forward uh, from that from that point. But it's been very busy. The Grizzlies have practiced uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, they were off on Friday. And then Saturday, uh, you got the fan practice. Sunday, first preseason game. A lot, a lot going on around the Grizzlies right now. Absolutely. And a lot of storylines as well. You know, from media day, obviously the news that Ja is going to be a lot more involved with the team than many um, had really known would be possible um, while he's out with his suspension. Um, of course, Derek Rose was absolutely captivating. Just some wonderful insight from him. A very intuitive, just a lot of depth to Derek Rose. You can immediately tell he's going to have a positive impact in a realistic way for the Grizzlies. And then, of course, Marcus Smart, you know, hearing him talk about, you know, different things he's looking forward to really seeing him establish a leadership role. So we, we've talked about the biggest storyline, which is John Morant. We've talked also about, you know, the newcomers that have not yet played in the Grizzlies uniform in Derrick Rose and Marcus Smart. But DeMichael, I want to focus a bit on some news that we got during the week when it came to um, Stephen Adams and Luke Kennard, two players that have already played in a Grizzlies uniform. But in Kennard's yeah. case, we've not seen him play 
a full season. And for um, Stephen Adams, obviously, big storyline has been his health. But I'm going to be honest with you. One thing that I am very excited about, DeMichael, is seeing them play together. Because we know that the Grizzlies, before they had Kennard, they were at their best in the half-court offense with Stephen Adams' presence being on the court. But numbers actually show that once Kennard came, even though the Grizzlies were without Stephen Adams, the half-court offense was even better due to Kennard shooting. Now mm-hmm. you've got both of them. What are your thoughts about having, you know, hopefully with Adams healthy? First, if you wouldn't mind talking about that a bit, but just in general, expanding on the thought of how Stephen Adams and Luke Kennard having a full season of them can really make that half-court offense improve, which is one of the big storylines on the court for the Grizzlies to start the season. Yeah, it's it's a lot to look forward to. And and the most important thing and the first thing is the fact that Stephen Adams is a relatively healthy as compared to you know March or, or January when he first suffered the PC uh PCL sprain and we thought it was gonna be three to five weeks. And then in March he gets reevaluated. They say, Oh, well, maybe he'll be back for the playoffs. Then in the playoffs, it's like, uh, actually he's not coming back. So uh now that he's pretty much being healthy, and when I say he's healthy, uh the Grizzlies are cautious. Uh, with their verbiage, they're not going to say he's 100% and things like that because uh, not not to say that he's not, but they're being very cautious because we've seen in the past of uh, where they thought he's gotten close and then knee swelling and things happen. But everything that we're seeing is completely positive. He uh, On Thursday, he participated in all the scrimmages, five-on-five uh, five intense action, and there were no limitations. So that is the most important sign because that's about as close as you can get to real game action as possible, and he's participating in that with no restrictions. Now getting back uh, to what you were saying in terms of Luke Kennard and – uh, Steven Adams being on the floor, I actually was asking uh, Luke Kennard on, on, on Thursday, I asked him, have you have you gotten that screen yet from, from Steven Adams that has created that space for you in the jump shots? And he just, he you know, he put this big smile on his face and he was happy to talk about it, right? Because we haven't seen that yet. You know, and it, it's kind of amazing to think because it looked like when Luke Kennard got here, he couldn't miss a shot. But Steven Adams will create so much more space for him. You go back to the end of the regular season when kind of I would say the book was out a little bit on what uh, Luke Kennard could do for the Grizzlies. Not even the end of the regular season, the playoffs. The Lakers did a phenomenal job of straight up defending Luke Kennard. Now, at the end of the day, the Grizzlies were still, as you alluded to earlier, they were still much better when Luke Kennard was on the floor because in order for the Lakers to do well against Kennard, they had to put attention on him. So the way the numbers kind of end up looking were Luke Kennard's scoring and his shooting percentage numbers were down in the playoff series as compared to the regular season, but his net rating and the Grizzlies' net rating while he was on the floor was still high because the Lakers' attention to detail, they couldn't leave him, and the Grizzlies at, some, at times were basically playing four-on-four four with a lot of spacing. But guess what? Now you get the best of both worlds. When you put Luke Kennard and Steven Adams on the floor together, uh, this is no shot at anyone else who was trying to free up uh, Luke Kennard in that playoff series. But Dennis Schroeder was the main guy who was guarding him. Dennis Schroeder ain't, sli- ain't sliding through a Steven Adams screen. So with that being said, uh, I think there's going to be a little bit more freedom of movement with Luke Kennard having Steven Adams on the floor. And then as I alluded to in a, a story I wrote yesterday as well, uh, Desmond Bain and Luke Kennard uh, shared the floor a lot last season. When you talk about the best two-man lineups uh, for the Grizzlies in the latter part of the season, they had the second highest net rating behind Santi and Jaron Jackson Jr. But now when you put that group, when you put uh, Desmond Bain, Luke Kennard, 
and and Steven Adams on the floor together, I think the Grizzlies could see, you know, an offensive net rating that's higher than any uh, lineup, we any three-man lineup we saw last season. And I think that that expands to a conversation that I really want to dive in deep with you too when it comes to what lineups the Grizzlies are going to use. Because, you know, we heard Taylor Jenkins talk about he's, I guess, dynamic, maybe a bit more active in terms of his management of the lineups. That's really what stands out. But Steven Adams talked about it. You know, he talked about how massive the spacing was, the lanes were, when both Kennard and Bain are on the court. And I think that when you look at what potentially, you know, we'll get in the starting lineup in just a moment. But I think when you get into a Grizzlies closing, lineup. I think, you know, Marcus Smart at the point, Kennard at uh, the two, Bain at the three, Jaron at the four, Steven Adams at the five. That probably is what your closing lineup is going to look like. Maybe if Steven is a bit limited to start the season, as you alluded to, maybe you put Santi at the four and Jaron at the five with Bain at the three, Kennard at the two, Smart at the one. That still can be a very advantageous lineup. But when you look at the Grizzlies' potential closing lineups. And when you look at the lineups they're going to use in high leverage without jaw, that smart Kennard, Bain, Jaron, Steven lineup, maybe mixing Santi in as well. I think that's what you're kind of looking at as being the Grizzlies go-to lineup when they really need to get stuff done to win games. I can't agree with you uh, any further. And in its simplest form, Sean, this is the way I'd like to put it because Steven Adams, uh, a couple years ago when he was healthy, uh, two seasons ago, he set the single season of franchise record for offensive rebounds. I mean, and he was on a similar pace uh, this past season with the Grizzlies. Well, guess what? If you put Luke Kennard and Desmond Bain on the floor, conventional basketball wisdom tells you the Grizzlies are going to miss less shots. So you got two of the best three-point shooters in the game. So not only will the Grizzlies make more shots when you talk about that, those three guys being on the floor together, but in the rare instances when they do miss, now you got Steven Adams to get that offensive board. And, again, st- just like those guys, Desmond Bain, Luke Kennard, create gravity, Steven Adams creates gravity as well in a different way. A lot of coaches that I talk to throughout the regular season, they always talk about when Steven Adams goes to get the rebound, you have to put multiple bodies on him. Well, guess what that will do for the Grizzlies? Let's say uh, a wing comes crashing down to help out a big against Steven Adams. If Steven Adams still gets the rebound over those two guys, uh, the odds are that Luke Kennard or Desmond Bain will be open. Steven Adams is a phenomenal passer. He's going to find the open man, and boom. I see a lot of those uh, opportunities for the Grizzlies this season. And, again, uh, having those three guys on the floor, again, after when John Morant potentially returns, uh, Steven Adams talked about in the scrimmages when he was on the floor with Des and Luke, it was just some massively open wide lanes on the floor. Imagine having John Morant, a guy who two seasons ago led the NBA in paint points, attack those wide open lanes. Uh, the Grizzlies got something cooking up, uh, you know, with this with this group when they can be able to unveil it. And speaking of of unveiling, you know, I think that's what we're going to see is that we're going to see an unveiling of, of a new kind of approach. You know, um, I, I believe that uh, uh, Taylor Jenkins had talked about it, you know, the offense being revamped, you know, with a lot more, again, activity, a lot quicker adjustments, um, you know, when it comes to Taylor Jenkins. He already makes good adjustments. I think it, I think that the thing that when it comes to Taylor Jenkins to Michael is that he a lot of times makes good adjustments. They may just take a little while for them to occur. Would you would you agree with that as a? a general assessment of Taylor Jenkins? I, I think he has strengths from an adjustment perspective. I, I like to put it like that. Like, let's say defensively. The adjustments that he can make defensively are very noticeable uh, throughout the throughout a game. If the Grizzlies give up Agreed. 65 points 
if they give up 65 points in the first half, odds are they're probably going to give up 50 or less in the second half, or more times than not, because he's very good at those type of adjustments. Uh, offensively, it's where I'm a little bit in between, and that's why so far in preseason camp, I mean, you can feel the sense of urgency. It's there. Like, we, I don't even think the media, we haven't had to overly press Taylor Jenkins on the importance of improving the half-court offense because he already knows. Like, he is talking about it more than us. It's When you talk about why they brought in assistant coach Patrick St. Andrews, uh, he's talking about how he's a big part of helping the offense. Uh, I talked about the scrimmages from Thursday. Taylor Jenkins said the big emphasis in those scrimmages was offense. And this is a defense first guy. Like, this is the same coach who says that fifth starting spot is likely going to come down to defense. But he is putting an increased emphasis on offense. The Grizzlies are basically changing the way that they look at offense. So offensive adjustments, I think this is going to be the year. This is the year where we're going to be able to say, hey, you know what? In the past, I feel like, okay, in the fourth quarter, you kind of knew what the, what was coming with the Grizzlies and you knew how to stop it. Uh, this may be the year where he's able to throw a curveball in there and uh, make some of those like adjustments on the offensive end that we're used to seeing the Grizzlies do on the defensive end that's made him uh, one of the best defensive coaches in the NBA and the Grizzlies one of the best defensive teams uh, in his tenure. And, DeMichael, just sticking with this, with Taylor Jenkins and his adjustments, I couldn't agree with you more. The third quarter net ratings throughout Taylor Jenkins' tenure shows how good he is when it comes to the defensive adjustments. But with the offensive adjustments, that's really where you see the growth. And there's not going to be a better opportunity than now. You're going to be without Jaw. You're going to be without Tyus. So your safety valves, when it comes to running effective basketball, through talented point guards, they're not going to be there. You're you're going to have, you know, Marcus Smart, Derrick Rose, and others, but, you know, John and Tyus are on another level. This opening 25-game stretch is really going to be an opportunity for Taylor Jenkins to show he's gone to the next level when it comes to his offensive play calling. Yeah, yeah, and, and this is this is a big year. Like I, I said, you can feel the sense of urgency. I, I, I don't think we've had to ask him much. Uh, about the offense, uh, the needed improvement there. Taylor Jenkins is is kind of leading the charge and saying, hey, we brought in Patrick St. Andrews because, you know, in part, he's going to lead the offense. He's going to be a big part of, you know, the offense there. Uh, he's talked about how even on the roster, you know, we're used to seeing certain guys in certain roles. He said roles are going to change this year. He even said he, he questioned himself in a way. He said, maybe I've been too stubborn in the past. Uh, with sticking with the two two big lineups, you know, we also see uh, Jaron comes out of game, Santi comes in at power four. Maybe the Grizzlies will go smaller more. You know, we saw them do it in desperation at times, you know, in playoff series where Dylan Brooks will go to the four and they match up against certain teams. But for the most part, uh, the Grizzlies have stuck to the two bigs. So maybe maybe he'll explore a little bit more small ball, a more, little bit more two-point guard lineups and things like that. So, uh, looking forward to seeing what that adjustment looks like for sure. So then let's let's dive into a scenario here, DeMichael, because I really, really have been looking forward to getting your okay. this. This is keeping with what Taylor Jenkins has done in the past, but I also think kind of sticking with, with what he's saying this year. We obviously know that, you know, you know four starters, and this is, a, this is assuming Steven Adams is healthy. Smart at the point, Bain at the two. You've got your fifth starter, which is your small forward right now, Jaron at the four, Adams at the five. Say Zaire is that fifth starter. So here's my thought. You start, you know, Taylor Jenkins has talked about defense really, you know, being what it came down to for that fifth starter. I think Zaire's defensive upside stands out when you compare him to Kennard or Laravia or Roddy. Okay. So smart, Bain, 
Zaire, Jaron, and Adams starting the game off. Then, in the middle of the first quarter, you see Bain and Jaron come off, like we saw happen last year many times. And you work your way through the end of the fourth quarter. You've set the defensive tone. You're starting to get your subs in. Bain, Jaron come off. Kennard, Santi go in. But then the start of that second quarter, you've got Bain, Kennard, Laravia Arati, Santi, and Jaron to start the second quarter. And my thought with going with that scenario, you've set the tone with your defense early. You've got three-point shooting consistently on the court. But then after you've set the defensive tone in the first quarter, you really hit that offensive button in the second quarter with Bain and Kennard and Jaron and others on the court against the opposition's probably weaker lineup that includes bench players. That's kind of a thought that I had, and it also allows for your bench, your first two subs, to really be offensive-oriented with Kennard and Santi to give you that pop like you got in the past in a different way, but like you got in the past with Tyus and Clark. Your thoughts, does that make sense, you know, going with the Zaire over Kennard starting, Kennard and Santi being used in that way off the bench? Is that kind of a formula that could work? You know what? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm talking to Sean Coleman or, or Taylor Jenkins right now because I, I feel like you're you're reading into his mind a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying that I think at this moment that Zaire is the starting small forward when opening day, you know, gets here. But right now, I'd like to think that he has the inside track simply for that reason you just put out there. Uh, Taylor Jenkins is drilling it. Defense, defense, defense. Whoever wins this fifth starting spot, uh, it's going to have to be a defensive. You know, it's defense is going to be the reason why. Uh, that puts three guys, you know, in mind to me. I, I think at that point, we're talking John Conchar, uh, we're talking Zaire Williams, and we're talking David Roddy. Now, when you think about the offensive upside of those three guys, and, and plus the defense, that's where Zaire Williams, 10 plus point, 10 plus two points per game as a starter and 48% of field goal percentage. His field goal percentage is 10, 10 percentage points uh, higher than David Roddy uh, as a starter. And, you know, his 10 points per game is higher than John Conchar. I think it's eight, eight points and seven rebounds per game in the starts that he's made with the Grizzlies. So I think he's your best combination of high upside defense and the potential to be, you know, more than serviceable on the offensive end. And then, yeah, you, that second unit has the potential to be explosive. You know, I, I really entertained the idea of starting Kennard. Uh, at the beginning of the offseason when we were talking when everything happened with John Morant. But then as things unfolded, it's like, like you know what? It makes a lot of sense. You bring him off the bench and he can finish games. You know, he can be in your closing lineup. But when you talk about having, you know, uh th those guys on the floor that you just mentioned, you know, uh with Luke Kennard, uh Santi and Jaron and, and these groupings, uh, I mean Jaron and Santi, as I said earlier, uh best two man lineup. Uh, net rating wise on the Grizzlies in the second half of the season. Uh, so, I mean, it gives the Grizzlies, what you just mentioned, it gives them the best opportunity, in my opinion, to have consistent offensive flow, consistent, you know, uh, just production. You know, we there were times last season when certain guys went out of the game, there wasn't a guy on the floor who could create for himself, and the Grizzlies would struggle. Uh, potentially the bench unit wasn't wasn't as good last season as it was two years ago. We already know they lost Kyle Anderson. They lost DeAnthony Melton. But the bench, bench unit wasn't as productive. Uh, this season, the bench unit could be possibly better than a couple years ago if it lines up, in my opinion, the way that you just outlined it and how I think uh, it should be outlined as well. 
So then to Michael, let's go to the other end of the spectrum because in that kind of scenario, so through the start of the first quarter, if you go with some type of lineup like, you know, me and you just talked about, you've gone through the first eight in the rotation. That, of course, then leaves whichever of the Ravian Roddy have not been used. You've also got John Conchar. You've got Derek Rose. You've got um, um, Xavier Tillman. Out of those four, you know, which one of the Ravia Roddy you're not going to use? I'll go with Roddy. I think the Ravia should be higher in the rotation than him personally. But let's talk about Roddy Rose, um, Tillman, as well as Conchar. Is there any one of those four that you think will probably have a bigger role than some anticipate to start the year? And is there someone out of that group that you may think may be more out of the rotation than people may think? I know that injury, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they're going to be without Adams. One Tillman steps up, but just out of that group of four, Rose, Roddy, Conchar, and Tillman, what is the early season outlook for that grouping as far as that uh, depth into the rotation grouping? Uh, so the thing is, you got Rose, Roddy, Conchar, and Tillman. Here's here's the reality of the situation. Uh, when you think of John Conchar, I think he's a guy that Taylor Jenkins likes, not just because he's a favorite, but as a coach, you have to be able to trust guys. Sure, there are some more naturally talented guys on the roster, but there were times, I think of a game against uh, the Timberwolves a couple seasons ago in February where D'Angelo Russell was kind of torching Zaire Williams. And uh, Taylor Jenkins, late in the game, you know, he he takes Zaire Williams out for John Conchar, and everyone's looking at the swing like, "What? What, what what is he doing? But it worked out. The Grizzlies won that game in part because of that switch. Uh, so he trusts John Conchar. Uh, so I think that is going to get John Conchar on the floor early in the season, and we'll see, you know, how the other guys uh, progress. The one guy who I think is probably going to have a bigger role, at least early in the season, than people are anticipating is Derrick Rose. Um, I like to point this out. Just go back two years ago. Oh, you don't even have to rewind the clock all the way back to Chicago Bulls, Derrick Rose. Two years ago, this guy finished third in six-man-of-the-year vote. And not only that, he basically played starters minutes on that Knicks team, and he was a huge reason why that team made the playoffs and made the run uh, that it did. Uh, Derrick Rose it has some left in the tank, and everyone will point to last season, right? Last season, he basically got kicked out of the rotation in, in favor of the younger guys and whatnot, and the Knicks took off from that point. They struggled on the end season. They took off when they made uh, the rotation switch, and he sit the rest of the season. Everyone should know that at this point of Derrick Rose's career, 34, uh, his knees and everything that he's went through injury-wise, uh, maintenance is a big part of his thought process when it comes to his taking care of his body and things like that. Derrick Rose has pointed this out. People that I've talked to in New York have pointed this out. Him not playing a lot towards the end of last season will help him from the spec of it saves some tread on his tires. Uh, he's going to be a little bit fresher. And all accounts from talking to Grizzlies players so far, everyone's telling me that Derrick Rose looks good. Uh, the shiftiness is there, and that's kind of all you need. We talked about uh, Derrick Rose being on the second unit, right? Uh, going back to the names that you mentioned, uh, LaRavia's shooting. Who Remember, LaRavia is a guy in media day who said he belongs in the same conversation as Luke Kennard and Desmond Baines as a shooter. I'm not saying he does, but look, that's the man's words. But at the end of the day, he's a, he's a quality shooter. Jake LaRavia, you put Luke Kennard on the floor, and then you're probably going to have Santi Aldama. That's three-plus shooters uh, right there. And then you got Derrick Rose, his shiftiness, his ability to get to his floater when he's getting to the rim. Uh, I think there's a potential with the way he 
his style fits with that second unit early in the season, at least that he could have a big role while John's out. When John gets back, it's going to get a little murkier, but he's one guy that I'm zeroing in on. I think Xavier Tillman kind of is what he is at this point. You know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get some hustle plays. You're going to get incredible defensive versatility, but uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't know what else uh, he's going to bring to the table at this point. David Roddy is your wild card. You you mentioned it. I could see him definitely starting the season out of the rotation because you, you want to see more offensively uh, from him. Uh, I think he attempted the third most three-pointers uh, amongst rookies last year, but they had one of the lowest uh, three-point percentages of the top 10 rookies that attempted three-pointers. That has to improve. Uh, you want to see him get at least to around 34% if he's going to take that many three-pointers because his defense is going to get there. His defense is where a lot of people feel like David Roddy can make that uh, step forward. But offensively, uh, he's a little bit behind some of those other wing guys right now, and I think that's going to be the difference. Here with Michael Cole of Locked on Grizzlies, also the beat writer for the Grizzlies for the commercial appeal, and just one of the more fun guys to talk to, and one of the better basketball minds that I've I've come across. And I, I, I hate giving him this many compliments, but all joking aside, you know me and Michael <laughs> like to banter back and forth. Michael shifting a bit from you know looking at some on the court questions to start the preseason, start the season for the Grizzlies, to more long term future outlooks. Speaking of Rose, obviously a lot from Media Day, and he spoke on it as well, has been made of the relationship between him and Jaw. And I think Rose was spot on and gave the best possible perspective that he can be. When it yeah. comes to Jaw moving past what he's experienced over the past year, that's on Jaw. Only Jaw can make the adjustments and the changes that are going to allow for that to be in the past. Where Rose yep. really feels that he's going to have an impact is helping Jaw being able to not only maintain those changes, but really focusing on making the most of what he's got in front of him moving forward. Can you just talk about that the the, the Derek Rose Jaw Morant dynamic? Because Derek Rose really get it seems to know what his role is, but he also seems to genuinely have a focus on wanting to help Jaw get there because he knows how special Jaw can be. Yeah, and yeah, he he's not here to babysit Jaw, as he said. Uh, that's because he wants to win. That's because Derek Rose is still confident that he can be a productive NBA player. But at the same time, he is he is um. You know, he is aware of the experience that he has. And we all heard, you know, his media day interview and the way that he can kind of uh, dissect what he's went through to this point and how it's made him such a wiser person. He's talking about how now, you know, he he's grown, he's married uh, with kids uh, and all how all those life lessons have helped him. And guess what? I like to go back to this when Ja was uh, going through his situation and uh, Derek Rose, uh, no one told him to but he reached out to Tony Allen to get in touch with Ja Morant. And uh, from there, they formed a connection. Uh, we know about the, the Jersey Exchange and Madison Square Garden and all that stuff. Like Derek, Derek Rose is someone who uh, Ja uh, kind of looked up to uh, in a way as a basketball player. So he's going to listen to him because guess what? Uh, Derek Rose has done some things that Ja wants to do. He's He's been an MVP. He's went toe-to-toe. Uh, with LeBron James in the Eastern Conference Final Series. Uh, those things that that Ja would like to accomplish in his career. I think this is a great relationship. As someone told me, uh, Derrick Rose doesn't have to play a minute for the Grizzlies to earn his money. But guess what? I think the Grizzlies are going to get great value because 
because he's probably going to earn that money because he's going to play uh, some minutes uh, with the Grizzlies in addition to being, you know, a great voice for John Morant. And it's not just the off-the-floor stuff too, Sean. I, I want to point out that uh, Derrick Rose also added that it's very rare in the NBA where you get two players – you know, with similar styles to the level, like two players to their level with similar styles. Sure, a lot of three and D guys in the, in the league and a lot of shot blocker, rim protecting type guys uh, share information with each other. But for job to have another explosive athlete who was once that guy who could jump over anyone anytime he wanted to, but had to kind of decipher when to use that athleticism or when he could just do a quick floater or when he could just, you know, pull up for a mid-range jumper. Uh, it's going to be great for job right now but it's going to be great for his longevity too yeah because if you look at the numbers for Derrick Rose you know he was pretty productive you know in his first few games with the Knicks last year until his role as you put it kind of got murkier a bit you know it could be that case when Jaw returns this year but he was productive but to your point you saw him do it and the thing that stands out about Jaw and Rose to Michael is that they don't lose their mindset. They don't lose their IQ, their knowledge of how to be scorers. Derrick Rose, I, I think people will be surprised when they go back, if they really look at his career post the knee issues that started happening, when he went to a bench role, he still remained one of the best bench scores in the NBA. That natural ability score is there just like it's always going to be with Jaw. So I agree with you. It's going to help Jaw age, and that's going to be really encouraging. And I also think we could see Jaw come back better than ever when he comes back from his suspension. Yeah, Jaw ja looks like a man on a mission right now. I know a lot of people are pointed out on Grizzlies. Uh, I can't call it Grizzlies Twitter anymore. So Grizzlies X. A lot of people are pointing out how Jaw has been smiling in many of the photos and things like that. Oh uh, yeah, the guy looks like, like a man on a mission. And, and you know what? Uh, Derrick Rose is a guy who once upon a time people would say he wasn't smiling a lot too. Uh, as when when he you know was coming up through his uh prime years in the NBA. But uh, but yeah, I think that that's a great relationship for Ja. Uh, when Ja gets back, uh, just I mean he's going to be able to to watch Derrick Rose. I think from a perspective of. We'll see Derrick Rose in lineups in certain times with Luke Kennard and Desmond Bain. And Derrick Rose is the closest uh, example Jock can get to how he can penetrate against defenses and what defenses may do uh, when he's uh, driving to the basket, when those two guys are on the floor. Uh, I, I think there's some of that that's going to be uh, seen as well. So uh, it's it's twofold. You know, you, you get the off-the-court stuff, but there's also the on-the-court stuff as well. So let's look at this team right now, DeMichael, because, you know, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but when you really think about it, it is a, a bit eye-opening. It kind of, you know, takes you, makes you step back for a second. Over the past basically 18 months, due to injury or due to, you know, letting players move on, the Grizzlies have lost a whole lineup of productive depth. Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, um, uh, 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 Dylan Brooks, as well as Brandon Clark. Clark, obviously, hopefully will be back at some point this season. But when the Grizzlies had that depth, the strength of this team was defense, getting out on the fast break, excellent point guard play, strong bench, and 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 you know that depth overall was really what stood out. I think defense, especially with the last two defensive player of the years, stands out as a strength of this team. You hope shooting does as well with Kennard and, and, and uh, um, Desmond Bain. But when you look at this team, what are the strengths of this team? Just two or three strengths beyond defense entering this preseason that really stand out to you as strengths of this current team without Jaw. 
without Ja, uh, I think that one noticeable strength will be uh, multiple playmakers being on the floor pretty much at all times. And sure, the Grizzlies are able to do that when Ja and Dez are on the floor together. But uh, if there's a, if you want to be nitpicky about Ja Morant's game, when he's in the game, it's going to be a lot of pick and roll balls in his hands a lot of times. And it's kind of easier for the defense to dissect where the ball is going and who's going to get it. It's still hard to stop because even if you know John Morant's going to, you know, attack the basket, sometimes you still can't stop it. But uh, the point is, I think with Marcus Smart being the star point guard, you're going to get some of that Tyus Jones flavor because uh, like Tyus Jones, Marcus Smart isn't a great ISO scorer. So he's not going to hold the ball 10 seconds and try to cross guys over. He's going to get to his spots. He's going to pass it to Dez. Dez is going to make a play as well. Uh, we know Jaron Jackson Jr., one of the things he's emphasizing more than anything this year is improving as a playmaker. Every year in his career to this point, more turnovers than assists. Uh, this is the year where he could possibly change that. Uh, he wants to improve as a playmaker. But um, I think playmaking is one. Rebounding is an obvious second. Uh, Steven Adams back, automatically team goes uh, up in terms of rebounding. And I want to I want to take a different uh, angle uh, with this one. I think that three-point shooting will be a strength uh, this season. Uh, no, I don't, I'm not saying they're going to be the 2016-2017 Golden State Warriors, but if you look at the Grizzlies in the past, uh, they have not ranked in the top third in the NBA in three-point shooting. This is the year where I think we could see the Grizzlies ranked somewhere in the top 10 uh, amongst three-point shooting teams. If you look at just the starting lineup alone, you're talking about Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain, uh, who, whoever the small forward, uh, starting small forward option is, it's probably going to be an upgrade over Dylan Brooks's three-point shooting. Uh, I mean, if it's Zaire Williams, uh, the historical numbers won't indicate that, but from a shot-taking perspective to a shot-making perspective, I think that Zaire Williams can be an upgrade Uh in that way, because he's not going to take eight three-pointers if he knows it ain't falling uh, like Dylan Brooks would. Jaron Jackson Jr., a league average three-point shooter at this point. Uh, then off the bench, Santi Aldama, Luke Kennard, uh, Jake LaRavia, uh, Derek Rose, all plus three-point shooters at this point of their career. I think the Grizzlies could really sneak up on teams with three-point shooting. Pepper those corners. You've got so many different corner options, especially if Zaire can be a corner three-point shooting defensive asset Woo, that'd be a lot of fun. And to your point about Jaren, uh, put it out on X yesterday. That's a bit different than saying Twitter. But put it out there yesterday over the past two years when Jaren has two or more assists, but also two or less turnovers in the game, the Grizzlies are 22-5, and five, including 10-2 and two last year. So that may not seem like that significant of a, 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 a stat, but it does show that when Jaren is a plus playmaker, it just adds more to the Grizzlies uh, overall. But want to get back to Kennard for a second, because to Michael, uh, one thing that Bobby Marks of ESPN pointed out, you know, when it comes to this Grizzlies team, you know, over the past, you know, few years, we've seen Jaron Jackson Jr. right before the season start sign an extension. We saw the same thing with Brandon Clark last year. This year really don't have that guy who was on a rookie contract going to his next contract. We've got both Xavier Tillman and, and Luke Kennard, who potentially could be extension candidates. Do you get the feeling that either one of those that could be an option for them to potentially be extended? I'm thinking more Kennard than X, but just in general, do you think that we may see what could be a surprise extension um, the, uh, preseason? When you think about it, extensions, here's the thing, uh, Sean, that I want to point out. Uh, the Grizzlies have pretty much extended most of their core. Uh, John Morant, Desmond Bain, 
uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Steven Adams, even John Conchar, uh, Brandon Clark. Like, a lot of these guys have gotten extensions. And, and quite frankly, it, it's simple math. At some point, the money is going to start to dry up, and you got to start making tough decisions. Uh, in the case of Luke Kennard, he still has a guy. He's a guy that still has a couple more years uh, left on his contract. So I think he's someone – uh, now you got to get a full season. Remember, we only got a couple months of Luke Kennard with the Grizzlies. I think you need a full season because you haven't seen him play with Steven Adams yet. We all think it's going to work, but what if it's a travesty for some reason? Like, I mean, we we have to see a full season of him playing alongside of Dez, uh, seeing how teams adjust, see if the Grizzlies – I mean, if that just becomes like the Grizzlies version of the death lineup and it's just unstoppable. Uh, I think there's still more to see from a value standpoint and what Luke Kennard brings. So uh, it's still too early since this isn't the final year of his contract. He's someone that you can revisit in the offseason ahead of next season. Uh, with Xavier Tillman, it's hard to say that this isn't his last year uh, with the Grizzlies. You got Brandon Clark. Uh, you got Steven Adams uh, another year as well. Uh, Kenneth Lofton Jr., uh, something has to be done there. Uh, you're not. You don't want to just let him just – pretty much sit and rot on the bench uh, throughout the entirety of his contract and you gave him a guaranteed uh, uh, gave him a guaranteed roster spot, a guaranteed contract, excuse me, right up before the playoff series against the Lakers uh, last season. So I think Xavier Tillman, his, his defense is plus. Uh, he's a great locker room guy for the Grizzlies, but I don't, I don't see uh, where the Grizzlies would extend him, especially – uh, with all the commitments they already have to the front court, again, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been extended. Steven Adams, uh, uh, you just gave Kenneth Lofton Jr. a guaranteed contract. Brandon Clark is expected to have a, make a full recovery uh, by the start of next season. So you'll have him in the fold as well. And it just doesn't look like Xavier Tillman, it even it even makes much sense because if he is extended, then the, the question that counters that question will be what happens to Kenneth Lofton Jr.? Because now you have no pathway to play a guy uh, that you gave a guaranteed contract to when he was on the two-way. So I think this year probably spells the end, barring something unforeseen uh, for Xavier Tillman's team. And I think that's a compliment to Xavier Tillman because Xavier Tillman on the open market probably could get you know a three-year, $25 million deal, what have you. As yeah. Well fourth big, maybe not necessarily for a team that wants to contend, but for an up-and-coming team. And it doesn't really make sense for, you know, Kenneth Lofton is on a much more feasible contract for where he and X are in the rotation than X being at 8 to 10 million. And I know that that's hard to say with how close and Jaron and X are, but X has played well enough to where he deserves to cash in. And if that's not with the Grizzlies, it's elsewhere. Also, Luke Kennard, 14.7 million guaranteed this year, 14.7 million team option next year. You have to assume, to, to, to Michael's point, barring anything just tragic, the Grizzlies will do that and they can always guarantee his year next year as the first year of a an extension next summer so great points from DeMichael DeMichael one final thing preseason game starts against Indiana on Sunday what are you looking for one or two things I know we've talked about a bunch of different things that you can you know realistically look for but one or two things that we really haven't delved into yet that you're looking for from the preseason that I think would be worthwhile to watch out for that could impact the start of the regular season for the Grizzlies yeah, I'm going to say one thing, but it, it kind of can, you know, turn into a bunch of different things. It's it's the rotation. I want to see how uh, Taylor Jenkins divides this thing. Remember, they scrimmaged Thursday. Uh, they scrimmaged using five-minute quarters in part because he wanted to see guys uh, in different rotations with different players, uh, different pairings. Remember, he said he, he might stray away from using the two bigs as much as he has in the past. I want to see the rotations. Number one. Uh, throughout the rotation conversation, I want to see who's going to be who's going to get the first crack at the starting of 
the fifth starting spot. So it's probably going to be, you know, one of the small forward options, Zaire Williams, Jake LaRavia, David Brody, John Conchar. Who's going to get the first uh, crack at it? Who's going to be the second wing to come off the bench uh, in that game? Who's going to play well uh, with the starters, with the guys who are going to get big minutes? Uh, I think that matters as well. Like, to me, there is a difference. Like, if Zaire Williams struggles, uh, like if he's playing with the starting group and he struggles, and then in the fourth quarter, he's playing alongside of Gigi Jackson, Kenneth Lofton Jr., and Jacob Gilliard, and he goes and scores 18 points. Uh, quite frankly, I think that's cool, but it doesn't impress the Grizzlies as much because they want to see him play well with the guys who are going to play the most minutes for the team. So the rotations will be really important. Pay close attention to who plays well with who. That's what I'm keeping my eye on. Absolutely. And and I do think that one other thing that you can, I'm sure you'll probably write something about it. You and Joe will talk about it on Locked on Grizzlies. I'm, I'm throwing around ideas of talking about it. Dynamic duos for the Grizzlies. I think that you can come up with so many different duos that can impact the game in so many different ways for the Grizzlies. I do agree. Who plays well with who will really kind of define how the rotation will look going into the season. DeMichael, do you have anything else for um, our listeners to be able to uh, look out for? I know you're going to have plenty of content out there, but anything as we wrap up the show that you'd like to add in there, it's always, always a joy uh, talking with you. Thank you for taking the time and the great insight. I always enjoy to, to join back with you too, uh, Sean. Everyone knows just you can check out uh, most of my, my written content at the Commercial Appeal. Uh, check out all our podcasts, Locked on Grizzlies, Monday through Friday. Uh, me and Joe Mo next there, but I'm going to have a lot of content next week as we get into the preseason games. Uh, I'll be at every one of them. Uh, a couple profile stories on players, all of that will be coming out soon, so just be on the lookout for that. And thankfully, the good thing about the offseason is that we don't have to go through the pain of thinking that our days are going to be ruined by highlight videos put together of DeMichael and pickup games. We thankfully won't have to see uh, any more of that. Right, DeMichael? Uh, Sean, I, I, I'm tired of telling the story about, um, you know, I'm, I'm the reason you've retired from basketball, but that's neither here nor there. That That's not true. We never played. Never. We have not played a game of basketball. All joking aside, his name is DeMichael Cole. He's the co-host of Locked on Grizzlies, writes for the Grizzlies um, through the commercial appeal. Great presence on Twitter. Great ex. Great presence on Locked on Grizzlies. Obviously, excellent written content. Can't say enough good things about him. But DeMichael Cole, again, DeMichael, stick with us for just a second after the show. But thank you for taking the time with us. Man, anytime, Sean. Appreciate you for having me. His name is DeMichael Cole. Make sure you check out all the great content from Bluff City Media as well as DeMichael. Bluff City Media will have you covered throughout the preseason. Myself here on GBB Live, the Gen X podcast, as well as all the other great podcasts that you can listen to on the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network. Also, all the great content covering Memphis sports in general on BluffCityMedia.co. For DeMichael Cole, my name's Sean Coleman. Until next time, we'll talk to you again soon on GBB Live. Go 